So starting in Second Nephi, chapter 13, and I am going to read from Avraham Gileadi's translation of Isaiah. Verse 1, even now the Lord Jehovah of hosts deprives Judea and Jerusalem of both staff and crutch. The valiant man and the soldier, the magistrate and prophet, the augur and elder, the officer and dignitary, advisors, skilled craftsmen, and orators. So the context and the setting is both Judea and Jerusalem. So we have the people in general, but also the covenant people of God. Those who have at least at one time repented and returned. Everybody is going to go into a state of bondage and covenant curse. And the bondage will be so severe that those who have typically been um, the leaders among the people uh, will have their leadership taken away from them. Verse 4, I, Jehovah, will make adolescents their rulers. Delinquents will lord it over them. People will oppress one another, every man his neighbor. The young will be insolent to the elderly, the vile to the honorable. Then will a man apprehend a kinsman of his father's house and say, I have a tunic, be our leader, and take charge of this ruination. But he will raise his hand in that day and swear, I am no physician. There is neither food nor clothing in my house, and you cannot make me a leader of the people. Jerusalem will falter and Judea fall because their tongues and their actions are contrary to Jehovah. So even those who have become God's covenant people They will be in bondage, and there will be a strata of those who have repented and returned and become God's covenant people because they have entered into covenant with God. Uh, A strata of them will even fall. And at that day, you know, meaning the day of judgment, the day of the Lord's coming, which is commenced with the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, um, putting the whole world into bondage and starting his work of destruction among them. Um, At that day, people will look around for um, those who have historically, you know, provided guidance and safety But those people who have historically been able to provide guidance and safety will have none to offer. In fact, things will be so difficult that they will be concerned with their own survival and not with um, providing guidance and safety that they have provided in the past. Verse 8, Jerusalem will falter and Judea fall 
because their tongue and their actions are contrary to Jehovah. So previous to this, you know, those who draw near to God with their lips, but their hearts are far from them, have been condemned. But now we come to a situation where men's hearts will fail them. And those who should be God's covenant people are not even drawing near unto them, him with their lips. But, you know, they have, you know, forsaken their God and they don't even make pretense um, of, you know, the worship of God. Verse 9. The look on their faces betrays them. They flaunt their sin like Sodom. They cannot hide it. Woe to their souls. They have brought disaster upon themselves. So those who should be of God's people. And in verse 8, again, it says Jerusalem and Judea. Now, Zion, Jerusalem are God's covenant people who have ascended uh, from Jacob, Israel, into Zion, you know, meaning that these people have entered into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit. They are either actively seeking the baptism of fire, baptism of Holy Ghost, or have received the baptism of fire, baptism of Holy Ghost. But because of the hardship which comes upon them, their hearts, instead of being drawn near to God and being bound to Jesus Christ, uh, instead have turned to, you know, Babylon for refuge, but they find that there is no refuge in Babylon. Babylon has no power to lead them or to save them. And the Lord's covenant people, or at least a strata of the Lord's covenant people, have joined the greater population, both Jerusalem and Judea. Verse 9. The look on their faces betrays them. They flaunt their sin like Sodom. So the people, you know, are indulging and will be turning to, you know, sexual sin. And the light that they once had will be taken from them. In fact, the deliverance that they had qualified for is now being removed. The hedge of protection is, is trampled down. And in the vineyard parables in the scripture, the hedge of protection is the doctrine of Christ. It's offering up a broken heart and contrite spirit. And so once a man, a woman, or a people reject the new and everlasting covenant, that of a broken heart and contrite spirit, their protection is taken from them. Because they will not hearken to all of the words of God, and they will not submit their will to his will. Verse 10, tell the righteous, it shall be well with them. They shall eat the fruits of their own labors. So, this is not an all-inclusive state of those who have repented and returned. There are those among those who have repented and returned who remain true and faithful to God, 
who continue to enter into the covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, despite um, many of those who had been their brethren and their sisters, uh, having their hearts hardened, no more entering into a broken heart and contrite spirit and turning from God. Now, Again in verse 10, tell the righteous it shall be well with them. They shall eat the fruit of their own labors. And again, trees in the Lord's vineyard bringing forth fruit is entering into um, the new covenant. It's receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And they will reap the benefit of the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, for they shall both receive protection and instruction. Instruction about how to come to the veil, um, ascend to the high mountain, and enter into God's presence in the fullness of his glory. Verse 11, But woe to the wicked! When calamity overtakes them, they shall be paid back for the deeds that they have done. Now, the wicked in this context are both those in um, Jacob, um, Israel, who are the Lord's covenant people, but who have refused to repent and return and ascend to the level of Zion, Jerusalem, and those in Zion, Jerusalem who once there hardened their hearts and will no longer offer up the broken hearts and contrite spirits. And, you know, their hearts do fail them. They are paid back for their failure to endure to the end and continue to offer up broken heart and contrite spirits. And as we're going to find out, uh, start practicing idolatry or, you know, putting up things before their worship of the true and living God. Verse 12, as for my people, babes subject them. Women wield authority over them. Oh, my people, your leaders mislead you, abolishing your traditional ways. So those who are qualified to lead the people, are not in a leadership position. And those who are unqualified, because the people allow those who are unqualified to have leadership over them and lead them down strange paths, um, you know, they reap the fruits of their disobedience to God. Abolishing your traditional ways. So, the traditional ways, you know, the, the proper role of both men and women, um, you know, families with a father and a mother. Um, and although um, this is not always possible for true and faithful people, yet it is the ideal. And, you know, society is rejecting the traditional form of the family that God has established. And, you know, those ways of life, which are in accord and in harmony um, with, you know, the teachings of the Lord. 
And certainly we can see these things today. Um, you know, for instance, if you look at the very um, declarations of the goals of Black Lives Matter, um, it is the destruction of the traditional family and family values. And, you know, certainly, you know, we see the LGBT, uh, you know, movement, you know, moving forward to, you know, also distort the public perception of, you know, what a family is, the, the divine role and calling of both fathers and mothers, and, you know, bringing, you know, children into the world, raising them up in righteousness, you know, teaching them to love, love the Lord, and, you know, teaching, you know, children to, you know, listen to their parents, you know, as their parents, you know, teach them in love and righteousness. Verse 13, Jehovah will take a stand and contend with them. He has arisen to judge the nations. He will bring to trial the elders of his people and their rulers and say to them, it is you who have devoured the vineyard. You fill your houses by depriving the needy. What do you mean by oppressing my people? Humbling the faces of the poor, says Jehovah of hosts. Now, this has reference both to religious and political leaders of the people. And... It says, you know, God will contend with them. You know, let's cross-reference DNC 101. You know, talking about, you know, one faction of the leadership of the people with whom God will contend. Verse 56 in the NC 101. And go ye straightway unto the land of my vineyard, and redeem my vineyard, for it is mine, I have bought it with money. Therefore get ye straightway unto my land, break down the walls of mine enemies, throw down their tower, and scatter their watchmen. And in this way, the Lord's servants, the Lord will deal with the elders or rulers of his people. Break down the walls of mine enemies, throw down their tower and scatter their watchmen. And inasmuch as they gather together against you, avenge me of mine enemies, that by and by I may come with the residue of my house and possess the land. Verse 16 in Isaiah 3, which is Second Nephi 13. Verse 14, you know, again, he will bring to trial the elders of his people and their rulers and say to them, it is you who have devoured the vineyard and fill your houses by depriving the needy. What do you mean by oppressing my people, humbling the faces of the poor, says Jehovah. And again, in DNC 101, the Lord of the vineyard goes to the religious leaders of his people and says in verse 52 of DNC 101, now behold the noblemen of the vineyard 
the nobleman, the Lord of the vineyard, called upon his servants and said unto them, Why? What is the cause of this great evil? Ought ye not to have done even as I commanded you? And after ye have planted the vineyard and built the hedge round about and set watchmen upon the walls thereof, built the tower also and set a watchman upon the tower and watched for my vineyard and not have fallen asleep, lest the enemy should come upon you. And behold, the watchman upon the tower would have seen the enemy while he was yet afar off, and then he could have made ready and kept the enemy from breaking down the hedge thereof and saved my vineyard from the hands of the destroyer. Verse 15, what do you mean by oppressing my people? Humbling the faces of the poor, says Jehovah of hosts. Jehovah says moreover, moreover, because the women of Zion are haughty and put on airs, painting their eyes, ever flirting when they walk and clacking with their feet. My Lord will afflict the scalps, the women of Zion with baldness. Jehovah will expose the private parts. In that day, the Lord will strip away their finery, the anklets, the head ornaments, the crescents, the pendants, the chains, the scarves, the tiaras, the bracelets, the ribbons, the zodiac signs, the charm amulets. The rings, the noselets, the elegant dress and the shawl, the kerchief and the purse, the hosiery, sheer linen, millinery, and cloaks. And instead of perfume, there shall be stench. And instead of the girdle, a piece of twine. And instead of a kofir, baldness. Instead of festive dress, a loincloth of burlap. For in place of beauty, there shall be ignominy. So not only will it be men in Zion, who will reject the new and everlasting covenant and, you know, not offer or not continue to offer up their broken hearts and contrite spirits. But there will also be a contingent of women who also will reject their God by hardening their hearts and refusing to offer up the broken hearts and contrite spirits. And instead of submitting their will to God's will, will follow their own will, and it will lead them back into Babylon. Verse 25, your men shall fall by the sword, your might overthrown in war. So, you know, the Lord makes it known that not only will there be a strata of women, um, both in Jacob, Israel, and Zion, Jerusalem, who will either persist in the hardening of their hearts, or after once coming unto the Lord and taking his name upon them, will again turn to Babylon and harden their hearts. Um, there will be far more men who do precisely the same thing. And while, you know, the women will by and large come into a fierce state of bondage and deprivation, the men will be felled by the sword. The sword being a metaphor for the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. So, you know, the men will die because of the direct efforts of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. While, you know, the majority of women who harden their hearts, they don't actually die, but come into a state of fierce bondage and deprivation. And part of the deprivation that 
you know, the women come into is because the men upon whom they rely uh, have been killed. Verse 26, her gateway shall lie bereaved and forlorn. She shall sit on the ground destitute. Well, um, this has metaphor both to the, the daughter of Zion, which is God's people in general, you know, and, you know, the state of the women that they now find themselves uh, in a state of destitution, you know, because the men have been killed and there is no one to watch over and protect them or to provide for them. Now, Second Nephi chapter 14, which is Isaiah 4, starting in verse 1. Seven women will take hold of one man in that day and say, we will eat of our own food, wear our own clothes, only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. So these women are the righteous women of Zion who um, their, their husbands you know, have been killed. And because they are righteous women in Zion, you know, they have the blessings of the Lord and covenant blessings of the Lord are sufficient food and water and clothing. So we know that there will be many more women in Zion than there will be men. Uh, Most of the men will be destroyed by the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. Verse 2, in that day, the plant of Jehovah shall be beautiful and glorious, and the earth's fruit, the pride and glory of the survivors of Israel. So the plant of Jehovah are those who become Christ's sons and his daughters through the new and everlasting covenant and remain true and faithful to him. And when the times of bondage, when the times of tyranny, when the times of deprivation come, The tender plant of Jehovah are those who remain true and faithful to him and do not abandon the new and everlasting covenant and give up hope and turn to sin and turn to Babylon. And, you know, now we have a discussion of the Lord's end time exodus. So on the eve of destruction, the Lord's end time servant Joseph Smith Jr. comes on the scene and he gathers out the strength of the Lord's house or the elect from, you know, among the people or, you know, those who have not hardened their hearts, those who have not turned to Babylon, but those who have remained true and faithful to the Lord. And because they are gathered out they survive the destructions of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. Then shall they who are left in Zion and they who remain in Jerusalem be called holy. So the cleansing that begins in the Lord's own house, um, you know, is talking specifically about the cleansing that begins among those in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the remnant branches of the restoration. And although we have different strata of spiritual ascension 
or in other words, those among the Latter-day Saints and the other branches of the Restoration who are willing to enter into the new covenant, having been instructed sufficiently that they should know better because the scriptures are laid before them and the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ is outlined repeatedly throughout the Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenants and the Pearl of a Great Price. And because of this, they are left without excuse. But not only that, but the Lord has sent his end-time servants to declare unto them the doctrine of Christ by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. Cross-referencing again, DNC 101. And the Lord of the vineyard said, in verse 55, said unto one of his servants, Go and gather together the residue of my servants, and take all the strength of my house, they that are my warriors, my young men, they that are of middle age, also among all my servants, who are the strength of mine house, save only those whom I have appointed to tarry. And then... Verse 60. And he said unto his servant, When I will go you straightway and do all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and this shall be my seal and my blessing upon you, a faithful and wise steward in the midst of my house and a ruler in my kingdom. And his servant went straightway and did all things whatsoever his Lord commanded him. And after many days, all things were fulfilled. Or in other words, in that day, the plant of Jehovah shall be beautiful and glorious and the earth's fruit, the pride and glory of the survivors of Israel. Then shall they who are left in Zion and they who remain in Jerusalem be called holy. All they who were inscribed to be among the living at Jerusalem. Now, Zion, Jerusalem is established as soon as the Strength of the Lord's house are gathered out, and the end time exodus commences. Verse 4. This shall be when my Lord has washed away the excrement of the women of Zion and cleansed Jerusalem of its bloodshed. So the cleansing of Jerusalem of its bloodshed is the cleansing of the men that begins in the Lord's own house. And... You know, who, you know, die by the sword or the direct actions of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. And they pass to the other side while washing away the excrement of the women of Zion is um, the Lord gives the women in Zion another opportunity to repent and return. And if after humbling them this severely, they do repent and return, they do survive. And that is how the, the women are cleansed and the women are felt and the men are filled with a sword. This shall be when my Lord has washed away the excrement of the women of Zion and cleansed Jerusalem of its bloodshed in the spirit of justice by a burning wind. All right. You know, the burning wind is also a metaphor for the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. And again, the king of Assyria, king of Babylon being that entity in the last days that amasses to itself all political, economic, and military power and becomes the staff in the Lord's left hand to destroy the wicked. Verse 5, over the whole site of Mount Zion 
And over its solemn assembly, Jehovah will form a cloud by day and a mist glowing with fire by night. Above all that is glorious shall be a canopy. And it shall be a shelter and a shade from the heat of the day, a secret refuge from the downpour and from rain. So here we have reference to the condition of those who are led out after the sanctification of the Lord's people by the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. Um, This is the protection of the Lord's people who go out on the end time exodus. And as a cross reference, we'll go to DNC 103. And in DNC 103, starting in verse 1. Verily I say unto you, my friends, behold, I give unto you a revelation and a commandment that you may know how to act in the discharge of your duties concerning the salvation and redemption of your brethren who have been scattered on the land of Zion. So here we have the Lord talking to the end time servants who have returned with Joseph Smith, that they may know how to begin the discharge of their duties, their duties being the gathering out of the strength of the Lord's house and preparing them for the end time exodus. Verse two, being driven and smitten by the hands of mine enemies on whom I will pour out my wrath without measure in mine own time. For I have suffered them thus far that they might be fill up the measure of their iniquities, that their cup might be full, that those who call themselves after my name might be chastened for a little season with a sore and grievous chastisement. So, you know, those who follow the Lord, um, require that they be smitten and afflicted, that they might truly offer up unto him a broken heart and contrite spirit. But even though they are not fully faithful to him at first, the Lord does not cast them off forever, but he gives them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to repent and return. In fact, he gives them the very experiences that they need that they might come unto a broken heart and contrite spirit, that they may, you know, rid their hearts of Babylon and all idolatry and worship Jesus Christ, the only true and living God and his father, that they may be chastened for a little season with a sore and grievous chastisement because they did not hearken altogether unto the precepts and commandments, which I gave unto them. So this has reference not only to at that day, Will my people need to be chastened because they only partially hearken unto my commandments? But this also has reference to the Lord's people during Joseph Smith's day, that Joseph Smith restored to them the fullness of the gospel, but they hardened their hearts and would not enter into the new and everlasting covenant, would not become the sons and daughters of Christ through the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And because they would not, they incurred upon themselves covenant curse. And this covenant curse started during the days of Joseph Smith and was to continue about four generations until the return of Joseph Smith as the end time servant, when the heavens would again be opened and the knowledge of the doctrine of Christ would be again restored to the people and that there would be many who would enter into this covenant, but even the second time would need the help of 
fierce opposition and bondage and even destruction um, to be all around them, to help them fully this time enter into the new and everlasting covenant. Again, verse 4, that those who call themselves after my name might be chastened for a little season with a sore and grievous chastisement because they did not hearken altogether unto the precepts and commandments which I gave unto them. But verily I say unto you that I have decreed a decree which my people shall realize insomuch as they hearken from this very hour unto my counsel, which I, the Lord their God, shall give unto them. So literally the Lord in DNC 103, verse 5, is talking specifically us today. You know, for we are certainly, you know, the people who desire to take upon us the name of Christ. And inasmuch as we realize from this very hour that if we will enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit and hearken unto the voice of the spirit and obey all of God's commandments, uh, we might be able to be redeemed from this very hour. In verse 6, behold, they shall, for I have decreed it, begin to prevail against mine enemies from this very hour. And by hearkening to observe all the words which I, the Lord God, shall speak unto them, they shall never cease to prevail until the kingdoms of the world are subdued under my feet, and the earth is given unto the saints to possess it forever and ever. So this is the strata of people, you know, who... You know, Isaiah talked about would remain true and faithful among Zion, Jerusalem. And, and then in verse 8, we have also that strata of people who would be among those of the ascension level of Zion, Jerusalem, or the new covenant and baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, who would then harden their hearts. But inasmuch as they keep not my commandments and hearken not to observe all my words, the kingdoms of the world shall prevail against them for they were set to be a light unto the world and to be the saviors of men. And inasmuch as they are not the saviors of men, they are a salt that has lost its savor and is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. But verily I say unto you, I have decreed that your brethren, which have been scattered shall return to the lands of their inheritance. So this scattering began during the days of Joseph Smith because they would not enter into the new covenant. They would not become Christ's sons and his daughters. And so the Lord allowed them to be smitten and driven as a covenant curse to help facilitate their repentance and their return to him and coming unto a broken heart and contrite spirit. But verily I say unto you, I have decreed that your brethren, which have been scattered, shall return to the lands of their inheritances and shall build up the waste places of Zion. And why does Zion have to be built up? And, you know, why does the Lord reference it becoming a waste place? Well, if we cross-reference 2 Nephi 28, Nephi, speaking about the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, in verse 25, say, Woe be unto him that crieth all is well, and woe be unto him that hearkeneth unto the precepts of men, and denieth the power of God and the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is how Zion became a waste place. This is how we rejected our God, the God of Israel, and our opportunity to become his sons and his daughters. 
And by rejecting the gift of the Holy Ghost, we rejected the new covenant whereby we might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And instead of taking the Holy Spirit as our guide, we relied upon men and women who were not called of God and who did not speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. And because we accepted their teachings and their precepts as if it were doctrine, we uh, have relied upon the precepts of men. We've made flesh our arm and so have qualified for Zion to become a waste place. And we deny the power of God because, you know, the fruits of the spirit are manifest in those who have come unto God and received power and authority from him. And they are not manifest in those who have not. Verse 27. Yea, woe be unto him that saith we have received and we need no more. Yea, and find woe unto all those who tremble and are angry because of the truth of God. For behold, he that is built upon the rock receiveth it with gladness, and he that is built upon a sandy foundation trembleth lest he shall fall. Or in other words, um, taking this into an end-time scenario, as the servants, including Joseph Smith, go forth and declare the doctrine of Christ by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, those who are not built upon the rock, who is Christ in Revelation, are angry because of the doctrine of Christ and trembleth lest they shall fall because they are built upon a sandy foundation, which is anything other than Jesus Christ. And this is the strata in Isaiah who are Jacob Israel, who will not hearken unto the voice of the spirit, who instead hang doggedly to those who speak without the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. Verse 29, and woe be unto him that shall say, we have received the word of God and we need no more the word of God for we have enough. Now, this is not talking about those Christians who say that they have the Bible and they do not need the book of Mormon. We're talking about Latter-day Saints who declare that they have all that they need because they have lesson manuals and ensign articles and conference addresses and therefore uh, have no need to receive the terms of the new and everlasting covenant by the gift of prophecy and revelation, which is how to offer up a broken heart and contrite spirit that they might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that they then again may exercise the gift of prophecy and revelation unto being instructed about how to part the veil and enter into the rest of the Lord, which rest is the fullness of his glory while in this life. For they already have the word of God. And they need no more the word of God. Halfway through verse 30. For to him that receiveth, I will give more. And from him that shall say we have enough, from them shall be taken away even that which they have. Cursed is he that putteth his trust in man, or maketh flesh his arm, or shall hearken unto the precepts of men, save their precepts shall be given by the power of the Holy Ghost. Woe be unto the members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Gentiles, saith the Lord God of hosts. For notwithstanding, I shall lengthen out mine arm unto them from day to day. They will deny me. Nevertheless, I will be merciful unto them, saith the Lord God, if they will repent and come unto me. For mine arm is lengthened out all the day long, saith the Lord God of hosts. And, you know, here again, Isaiah imagery is used. 
the Lord's arm is the Lord's end time servant. And the Lord's end time servant and his servants are sent a second or last time to again declare the doctrine of Christ by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. And all those who will receive it with gladness become the Lord's covenant people. And as it says in 3 Nephi 16.10, or 3 Nephi 16.13, after the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have rejected the fullness of the gospel and have been relegated to the preparatory gospel, and even upon the death of Joseph Smith have been rejected as a church with their dead, nevertheless, the heavens would again be open before the second coming of Jesus Christ, and they would again have the opportunity to repent and return, which means enter into the new covenant, receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and have the Gentile burned, blood burned out of them and become blood Israel. So 3 Nephi 16.10, or 3 Nephi 16.13. But if the Gentiles, or members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, will repent and return unto me after rejecting the fullness in verse 10, Saith the Father, Behold, they shall be numbered among my people, O house of Israel. And that is specifically through the new covenant uh, and the reception of the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Back in DNC 103. Verse 12. For after much tribulation... As I have said unto you in a former commandment, cometh a blessing. Behold, this is the blessing which I have promised after your tribulations and the tribulations of your brethren, your redemption and the redemption of your brethren, even their restoration to the land of Zion to be established no more to be thrown down. So Joseph Smith in his first ministry ushered in the dispensation of the gospel of Abraham which is not the dispensation of the fullness of times. In the NC 110, after we had rejected the fullness of the gospel and had been demoted to the preparatory gospel or Church of the Latter-day Saints, Elias appears to Joseph Smith in the Kirtland Temple. And in the NC 110, verse 12, after this, Elias appeared and committed the dispensation of the gospel of Abraham, saying that in us and our seed, all generations after us should be blessed. However, when Joseph Smith returns and is again ordained and sealed to the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood, which is the order of the priesthood that governs within the terrestrial church of Christ, we also have the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the beginning of the dispensation of the fullness of times. This is when the land of Zion is to be established, no longer to be thrown down. Verse 14, nevertheless, if they pollute their inheritances, they shall be thrown down, for I will not spare them if they pollute their inheritances. Again, hearkening back to what we just read in Isaiah, that there would be those among the elect who would not continue to endure to the end. And enduring to the end literally means every day, after receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, continuing to offer up a broken heart and contrite spirit and, and offering that sacrifice unto the Lord, that there will be those of that category who will not. But verse 15, Behold, I say unto you, the redemption of Zion must needs come by power, but all those who will are going to be redeemed by power. 
And that power is the power of Christ as it comes to the Lord's end time servant. Therefore, I will raise up unto my people a man who shall lead them like as Moses led the children of Israel. For ye are the children of Israel and the seed of Abraham. And ye must needs be led out of bondage by power and with a stretched out arm. Stretched out arm being the end time servant. And as your fathers were led at first, even so shall the redemption of Zion be. Therefore, let not your hearts faint. For I say not unto you, as I said unto your fathers, mine angel shall go up before you, but not my presence. But I say unto you that mine angel shall go up before you and also my presence. And in time ye shall possess the goodly land. So this concept of angels going up before you and also my presence has a direct reference um, in Isaiah 4, you know, quoted in 2 Nephi 14, verse 5, in 2 Nephi 14. Over the whole site of Mount Zion and over its solemn assembly. Well, what is a solemn assembly? A solemn assembly in in this context are, you know, a group of people who are seeking and receiving sanctification through the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, who are seeking after and receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the ghost. These are the people who are led out on the end time exodus. And continuing in verse 5, Jehovah will form a cloud by day and a mist glowing with fire by night. Or in other words, mine angels shall go up before you and also my presence. Above all that is glorious shall be a canopy. And that is literally the presence of the Lord going before his people on this end time exodus. And verse six, it shall be a shelter and a shade from the heat. The heat being the work of destruction by the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, which we are going to find out before the work of destruction is complete. About 90% of the earth's population is no longer here. This is a level of destruction that we have not witnessed on the earth since the days of Noah. A secret refuge from the downpour and from the rain. It's only secret because it is hidden from all of those who will not enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit. But it is found by entering into that covenant. And those people are the ones who enter into covenant with the Lord and remain true and faithful. Now, in Second Nephi, chapter 16, starting in verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw my Lord seated on a throne. So, you know, in these verses, Isaiah is paralleled with the Lord's end time servant. And Isaiah serves as a type and a shadow of the Lord's end time servant. So both Isaiah and the Lord's end time servant see the Lord seated, seated upon a throne, highly exalted the skirt of his robe, filling the sanctuary. 
Seraph stood by him overhead, each having six wings. With two, they could veil their presence, and with two, conceal their location. And with two, fly about. They called out to one another, then said, Most holy is Jehovah of hosts. The consummation of all the earth is his glory. The threshold shook to its foundation at the sound of those who called, and a mist, mist filled the temple. Now, this mist filling the temple um, is the seventh heaven. It is the high mountain. So, both Isaiah and the end time servant will ascend into the seventh heaven and come into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory. Verse 5. Then I thought, woe is me. I have been struck dumb, for I am a man of unclean speech, and I live among a people of unclean speech. I have seen the king, Jehovah of hosts, with mine own eyes. Now, when one comes into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory, one is overwhelmed by that great gulf that separates us from him. And how desperately, no matter how good or righteous we may be, how desperately we need our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this is why in Moses chapter 1, after Moses has his ascension experience and for the first time comes into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory, he says in verse 10, Now for this cause I know that man is nothing, which thing I never had supposed. And he never had supposed it. Because there is no way to understand the terrible price that was paid or the gulf that separates us from him until one comes into his glory and is able to witness for themselves um, the prints of the nails in his hands and feet and thrust their hand into his side. And then they have some modicum of understanding of the price that was paid. And when they behold the difference between their light and the light of Jesus Christ, they are overcome with exactly what the Nephites proclaim in 3rd Nephi chapter 11. In 3rd Nephi chapter 11, verse 13, And it came to pass that the Lord spake unto them, saying, Arise and come forth unto me, that ye may thrust your hands into my side, and also that ye may feel the prints of the nails in my hands and in my feet, that ye may know that I am the God of Israel and the God of the whole earth, and have been slain for the sins of the world. And it came to pass that the multitude went forth and thrust their hands into his side, and did feel the prints of the nails in his hands and in his feet. And this they did do, going forth one by one, until they had all gone forth, and did see with their eyes, and did feel with their hands, and did know of a surety, and did bear record, that it was he of whom it was written by the prophets that should come. And when they had all gone forth, and had witnessed for themselves, they did cry out with one accord, saying, Hosanna, or, O God, save us now. Blessed be the name of the Most High God. And they did fall down at the feet of Jesus, and did worship him. And I know there is a lot of confusion and many people think that this was the Nephite second comfort experience, but this was a type two experience and preparatory to an ascension experience. Christ had to condescend and leave aside his celestial and terrestrial glory and come with only a modicum 
of telestial glory, that the people might be able to endure his presence. And this after uh, the vast majority had been destroyed in fires and earthquakes and tornadoes and, and tsunamis um, at the time of his death and leading up to his visiting the Nephites um, and the restoration to them of the terrestrial church of Christ. Going back to 2 Nephi 16. Then I thought, verse 5, Woe is me, I have been struck dumb. Or in other words, he has been so mightily overcome with the awe and glory of the Lord and an overwhelming understanding of his inadequacy and his insufficiency before God, um, becoming less than even the dust of the earth and realizing it. I have been struck dumb, for I am a man of unclean speech. I live among a people of unclean speech. I have seen the king, Jehovah hosts, with mine own eyes. Then one of the seraphs flew to me carrying an ember, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, touching it to my mouth. And he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your sins are taken away. Your transgressions atoned for. Now, before one can have an ascension experience, they first must receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And this is part of having the hot coal handled with the tongs, touched to your lips. Then, before an ascension experience, one must have a brand new baptism of fire because no unclean thing can enter into God's presence in the fullness of his glory and remain alive. And that baptism of fire must progress to transfiguration that one might ascend to the high mountain or the seventh heaven. And when one actually enters into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory, there is a level of sanctification that uh, has never before been equaled in the life of that man or that woman um, as they are literally cleansed with fire and glory, even the glory and fire of the terrestrial kingdom. Verse eight. And then I heard the voice of my Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I replied, here am I send me now. Here we have, you know, dualism for, you know, in the account of um, Christ in the, in the council of heaven volunteering that he will be the savior. You know, in the Hebrew, it says, or in other words, here I am, send me. And here we have both Isaiah and uh, the metaphor extends to the return of Joseph Smith being a type of Christ and a savior for the people or a co-savior on Mount Zion. You know, again, in DNC 103. For they were set to be a light unto the world and to be the saviors of men. Um, 
in the succeeding verse, we find out that there were those who had this calling, but who would not bear up their shoulders and bear this calling. But we find here that the Lord's end time servant, that he would bear up his shoulders and would bear this calling. And as we learned in the previous chapters, when all around him would not bear up their responsibility and opportunities, he and the Lord's other end time servants will and would. Then I heard the voice of my Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I replied, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say unto these people, go on hearing, but not understanding. Go on seeing, but not perceiving. Make the heart of these people grow fat. Dull the ears and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and repent and be healed. So, here we having we have a discussion of the separation of wheat and tares. And when there is to be a separation of wheat and tares, often it is accomplished by the Lord's end time servant, or I should say the Lord's servant, because it happens not only in an end time context, but the Lord's servant going and declaring true and even high doctrine to the people. And it it strengthens the wheat and it hardens the tares. Or they among the Latter-day Saints and, among the, and eventually among all the people of the whole earth who go on hearing but not understanding or they have their ears open but their hearts are not yoked yet open. They go on seeing, but not perceiving. Their spiritual eyes have not been opened. Make the heart of these people grow fat. Dull their ears and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and repent and be healed. Now, as a cross-reference, in Alma chapter 13, verses 27 and 30, or 27 through 30. And now my brethren, I wish from the innermost part of my heart, yea, with great anxiety, even unto pain, that you would hearken unto my words and cast off your sins and not procrastinate the day of your repentance. And literally what we have here is the separating of the wheat and the tares. But that you would be humble yourselves before the Lord and call upon his holy name and watch and pray continually that you may not be tempted above that which ye can bear and thus be led by the Holy Spirit, becoming humble and meek, submissive, patient, full of love and all long suffering, having the faith of the Lord, having a hope that ye shall receive eternal life, having the love of God always in your hearts, that ye may be lifted up at the last day and enter into his rest. And may the Lord grant unto you repentance, that ye may not bring down his wrath upon you, that ye may not be bound down by the chains of hell, that ye may not suffer the second death. And this after Alma has just um, gone into great detail and explanation on uh, the celestial portion of the endowment and 
the true doctrine of resurrection and um, what it means to be ordained to the holy order and have that order sealed upon you. And as the teaching and declaration of these things strengthened the wheat, it also hardened the hearts of those who were tares. And in Alma 12, verses 10 and 11. And therefore, he that will harden his heart or become fat of heart, and they grow fat of heart because they have the doctrine of Christ preached unto them in power and authority, and yet they reject it. And therefore, he that will harden his heart, the same receiveth a lesser portion of the word. And he that will not harden his heart, to him is given the greater portion of the word, until it is given unto him to know the mysteries of God, until he know them in full. And they that will harden their hearts, to them is given the lesser portion of the word, until they know nothing concerning the mysteries. And then they are taken captive by the devil, and led by his will down to destruction. Now this is what is meant by the chains of hell. And in Alma 14, verses 8 and 9. And they brought their wives and children together. And whosoever believed or had been taught to believe in the word of God, they caused that they should be cast into fire. And they also brought forth their records, which contained the holy scriptures, and cast them into the fire also, that they might be burned and destroyed by fire. And it came to pass that they took Alma and Amulek and carried them forth to the place of martyrdom, that they might witness the destruction of those who were consumed by fire. So, you know, here we have an example of the separation of wheat and tares. The men who believed and received the words of Alma and Amulek with gladness were cast out. And the hearts of the tares of the people of the city of Ammonihah were sufficiently hardened that they were willing to murder in a most cruel manner the women and children of the men who were cast out, who would not deny the Christ. But we know in an end-time scenario that this time when the wheat and the tares shall be divided, that the Lord will provide a physical protection for the wheat. He will not allow them to be destroyed unless it is appointed unto them for death and to die as a martyr, that they might stand as a witness against those who have become hardened, even unto the point of murder. And Alma 16, verses 2 and 3. For behold, the armies of the Lamanites had come upon the wilderness side into the borders of the land, even to the city of Ammonihah, and began to slay the people and to destroy the city. And now it came to pass that before the Nephites could raise a sufficient army to drive out of the land, to drive them out of the land, they had destroyed the people who were in the city of Ammonihah, and also some around the borders of Noah, and taken others captive into the wilderness. So they reaped the East wind, or because of the hardness of their hearts and the wickedness of their deeds and the actions, they qualified for destruction. 
and it was swiftly meted out upon them. And so will it be upon the enemies of the Lord and those who will not enter into the new and everlasting covenant and endure to the end. For it is not sufficient to one day enter into that covenant or even for a period of time if one is unwilling to hearken unto all the commandments which the Lord God will continue to give unto them. And this what is meant by enduring to the end, that one continues every day from that day forth to enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit. Going back to 2 Nephi 16, verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I replied, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say unto these people, Go on hearing, but not understanding. Go on seeing, but not perceiving. Make the heart of these people grow fat. Dull their ears and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes. Now, this lest is an implication that there will be those among the people who will receive the message who will repent and return and who will survive because of it. Let's they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and repent and be healed. Repenting and be healed is the cry of all the book of Mormon prophets to the Gentiles, remembers the church of Jesus Christ, of Latter-day Saints that we might repent of our iniquity, humble ourselves before God and do what is required of us as received by revelation to become his sons and his daughters. And verse 11, and I replied, for how long, my Lord? And he said, until the cities lie desolate and without inhabitant, the houses without a man, and the land ravaged to ruin. And pretty soon, Isaiah is going to make clear that he has a clear end time setting in mind as he set these things as he sets these things forth and that Isaiah is merely being used as a historical precedent for the end time metaphor for Jehovah will drive men away and great shall be the exodus from the centers of the land. And while yet a 10th of the people remain it in it or return, they shall be burned. But like the terebinth or the oak, when it is felled, whose stump remains alive, so shall the holy offspring be what is left standing. So, the you know this is the portion of Isaiah that is often quoted: the tenth of the tenth, the the holy portion. So, it's the ninety percent that shall be burned. And the tenth portion, which shall survive the burning and destructions, but it is that holy portion, which is the tenth of a tenth, that will be safeguarded in Zion and will be protected from the ravages of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon while the 9% 
They do qualify for deliverance from destruction, but not from the Lord's fierce anger. And they will incur the full amount of that wrath, even though that they will survive. But the terebinth or that holy portion, um, they are they who repent and return, who offer up their broken hearts and contrite spirits who receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then qualify for one of the 144,000 to work with them and help them ascend to the level of the church of the firstborn and to enter into New Jerusalem. So this is the terebinth portion. This is the tenth of the tenth. Those that qualify as elect to a work with one of the 144,000 and ascend to the church of the firstborn and thus qualify to enter into new Jerusalem. And regarding that holy portion or the terebinth, if we go to JST Genesis nine, verse 21. Now the context is, the Lord is talking to Noah about the covenant that he made with Noah's great-grandfather Enoch. And the bow shall be in the cloud, the bow being the sign and token of the covenant that God makes with Enoch about the return of his city to the earth before Christ's coming in his glory. And I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant Now, the everlasting covenant is the new and everlasting covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit. It is the path by which men and women become sons and daughters of Christ and therefore qualify for that level of instruction about how to enter into the rest of the Lord or become members of the church of the firstborn. And this has specific reference to those who go out on that end time exodus who have entered into that covenant, who are hearkening unto all the commandments of God as is given to them by revelation and qualify for one of the 144,000 to work with them. And so when that end time exodus culminates in meeting up with Enoch and his city, that they are ready to establish and enter into new Jerusalem. That they, that I may remember the everlasting covenant, which I have made unto thy father Enoch, that when men should keep all my commandments. Now, this does not have reference to being complete or perfect or finished or complete or perfect. This has reference to hearkening unto the voice of the spirit. And when the spirit instructs to obey immediately, That is what it is to hearken unto all of God's commandments. And one ascends to the level of being able to receive this level of instruction at the time of the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. That when men should keep all my commandments, Zion should again come on the earth, the city of Enoch, which I have caught up unto myself. So, Zion is established at the time of the end time exodus, but the exodus culminates with meeting up with Enoch and the return of his city and the establishment of, of New Jerusalem. And this is my everlasting covenant, that when thy posterity shall embrace the truth. Well, how do they embrace the truth? Well, they embrace the truth because when Joseph Smith returns, the heavens are again opened 
And angels come down and minister unto men and wake them up to the new and everlasting covenant in the Book of Mormon, that of a broken heart and contrite spirit, and instruct them sufficiently that they might know how to receive the revelation required to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the ghost, and then be instructed sufficiently they might know how they might proceed to receive the instruction about how to enter into the rest of the Lord. That when thy, um, that when thy posterity shall embrace the truth, the truth of the fullness of the doctrine of Christ, and look upward, then shall Zion look downward, and all the heavens shall shake with gladness, and the earth shall tremble with joy. Now, what does it mean that Zion shall look downward? And thy posterity shall look upward. So this has direct reference to after entering into the new covenant and receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, looking upward is hearkening unto all of God's commandments or feasting upon the words of Christ, not only to hear, but also to do as instructed by revelation and thus being able to receive instruction about how to part the veil and enter into Christ's presence. But in addition to that revelation, as Zion looks downward, that is literally the elect qualifying for one of the 144,000. Um, and those are they either who have been upon this earth and have been translated thus far or uh, one who is a part of that number who is in the city of Enoch to come down and work with them, usually incognito, um, and help them do what is required to ascend to Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory and enter into his rest. So, and this is mine everlasting covenant that when thy posterity shall embrace the truth, the fullness of the doctrine of Christ, and follow it, and go on the end time exodus, and qualify for one of the 144,000 to work with them, and look upward, then shall Zion look downward, and all the earths shall shake with gladness, or, and all the heavens shall shake with gladness, and the earth shall tremble with joy. And the general assembly of the church of the firstborn shall come down out of heaven and possess the earth and shall have place until the end come. So, this end time exodus and its culmination with the establishment of New Jerusalem happens before Christ comes in his glory and is on the earth for a period of several years before Christ comes in glory. And the missionary efforts that commence with gathering out the house of Israel um, unto the Zion of our Lord, that commences at the time of the Exodus with the first the taking of the fullness of the gospel to the Lamanites, and then to all of the peoples of the whole earth at least all those who qualify for deliverance from destruction, you know, which means, uh, you know, taking it to that surviving portion, the 10%. Um, and it's the 1% who fully embrace 
the doctrine of Christ, and are also willing to do all that is required of them that they might enter into the rest of the Lord. And the 9% who survive, um, they do not reject the doctrine of Christ, but they do not pay the same level of heed and diligence that the terebinth or the 1% pay um, to the doctrine of Christ. And it is the 9% that qualifies to make the transition into the millennium, but have not yet ascended to the church of the firstborn. And so they dwell outside of new Jerusalem during the millennium. And it's the church of Christ that ministers to those individuals and to whatever extent that they are willing to help them and minister to them to become elect. And once they have become elect, just like those who went on the end time exodus, who were elect and qualified for one of the 144,000 to work with them, to help them ascend to the church, the firstborn level. So will this be the condition during the millennial period that the 9% who is without the walls of the new Jerusalem, who did survive the destructions. And this also pertains to those who will be born during the millennial period, but you know, have not yet ascended to the level of the church of the firstborn. Um, they also will be ministered to by the church of Christ. And if they will, and as soon as they are ready um, to become elect, will qualify for one of the 144,000 to work with them, to help them as quickly as they are willing, ascend to the church of the firstborn and enter into New Jerusalem. And the general assembly of the church of the firstborn shall come down out of heaven and possess the earth and shall have place until the end come. And this is mine everlasting covenant, which I have made with thy father Enoch. And I add my testimony to that of Nephi and that of Isaiah and that of Noah and that of Enoch, that we are living in the days that all of the holy prophets have looked forward to since the beginning of time upon this earth, when for the first time this earth would go into terrestrial ascension in preparation for going into celestial ascension. And all those who will might go with it and might be exalted in the kingdom of our God. I pray that we will do whatever is required of us, of those who seek to take upon them the name of Christ, that we might be numbered among the terebinth or the holy portion or those who enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then endure to the end. Continue to enter into that covenant every day from that day forward that we might be instructed, that we might qualify for one of the 144,000 to work with us, ascend to the church of the firstborn, go on those end time missions where we might speak by the power and authority of the Holy ghost, that we might become the servants of God in gathering out 
the house of Israel from the four quarters of the earth and with them be here to herald the second coming of Jesus Christ in his glory and the ushering in of that millennial reign of peace. I say in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.